You're listening to the Really Useful Podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes from makeuseof.com. Welcome to the show. My name is Christian Corley and with me is Gavin Phillips. How are you doing, Gavin? I'm doing very well, Christian. It is a beautiful autumnal day down here in uh, in Cornwall. How about yourself? Uh, it's very similar here in the northeast of England, in North Yorkshire, and uh, there's lots of wet leaves around, though, which uh, obviously wet leaves are a bit difficult to deal with. Uh, Absolutely. In, in God, terms you don't of... Want that... say, you don't want them on your railway, do you? God. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not, no. Um, <laughs> they're also a bit tricky to deal with in terms of uh, blowers and shredders, so it's uh, it's going to be the rake, which is a bit of a bit more effort really then again less to carry i suppose absolutely there you go swings both ways doesn't it yeah absolutely. so <laughs> so well we're here to bring you the latest tech news around things that actually matter to you and then we've got some tips and tricks to help you make better use of the technology and software at your fingertips and then we'll finish off with some recommendations of things that we've used recently or enjoyed recently that uh, we think may interest our listeners uh, we're going to kick off with elon musk the man who has yet to release an aftershave, it's got to happen one day, who says um, he, he, he is uh, restarting his purchase of Twitter. Oh, what a funny old case this is. Um, so he says he aims to complete his purchase by the end of the year. And uh, basically, the he put in, he said he was going to buy Twitter. He made an offer to Twitter shareholders. They eventually said yes, and then he says that uh, they didn't give enough information on how many um, accounts are fake or bots or automated or whatever, uh, or spam. And then he withdrew, and then they've taken him to court, and he's now saying that he will proceed with buying it, but they are still saying (laughs) they still don't want to. It's farming, isn't it, really? It is. It is a madness. I think a key part of what's happened here as well is that, in the initial sort of aspects of the sale, he very publicly waived his right to to do due diligence. Uh, due diligence, didn't he? Yeah. He said, "Oh, well, I don't care. I don't need to do it." And then when people pointed out that his issue with the amount of spam he perceived on the platform was exactly why. He should have done the due diligence. He then got in a bit of a huff and was like, oh, I'll, I'll see you in court. And they were like, no, we'll see you in court. And um, for me, it's a lot of very, very rich people acting like absolute prats. But I'm not a very rich person taking over a business. So maybe this is just how this sort of stuff goes on. But it does seem to be more like what happens on whenever uh, Mr. Musk is involved in literally anything it becomes a massive public charade uh, and you know i just i just can't see why it has to be- become such a circus other than yeah. to reflect i guess maybe to reflect elon musk's personality sort of somewhat chaotic and acting spur of the moment and thinking about what'll happen later much like you're sort of taught not to do when you're growing up you know as a teenager like oh you do understand there are consequences Consequences. to your actions yes and apparently he doesn't so 
Well, maybe he's rich enough that he doesn't need to care about the consequences, I suppose. That's possible. Mm. But That's um, th- 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 there is another aspect to all this, isn't there? And this is uh, the whole thing of why he's buying Twitter. And he's um, mentioned this uh, Everything app again recently, which is kind of a, an interesting concept, isn't it? An, an app that does everything. I imagine it's some sort of unified social media and probably has some kind of uh, integration, like IF triple T sort of integration with things. That's the, that's what I have in my head. Yeah, well, it'd be more like the um, Chinese super apps like um, like WeChat that do everything. They have you know finance, banking, instant messaging, food ordering. It's all just roll. Everything is rolled into a single app, and it keeps mm. you within that app, within that ecosystem. Um, and you're not you're you're not locked in, obviously. But once you get so far into any of these sorts of ecosystems, um, it's harder to walk away, isn't it? It's a bit like if you have an Apple Watch, an iPhone, and an iMac, switching to anything that makes it harder to use your technology. It seems like, well, why on earth would I do that when it all works? really well to begin with an app for everything that you've just described um sounds to me a bit like teletext um but <laughs> um that's maybe not with, quite what they've got in mind teletext with bells and whistles yes <laughs> yeah i um I, I mean, the whole thing with him wanting to buy it as well as is he wants to make it into more of a platform that is more open to what he believes Twitter should be as well. But I think there's quite a lot of people that don't necessarily want it to become, uh, as in his words, you know, part of maybe a subscription service or parts of Twitter that we now use and have come to expect to be completely free or paid for by advertising will suddenly be behind a subscription or, or a paywall or something like that, which I think will probably turn quite a lot of people away uh, in the long run. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. We'll move on to uh, the news that, well, this is a bit concerning. This isn't the only thing that's uh, just popped up today because uh, it turns out that a, uh, a German security chief has been uh, sacked for having ties to Russia. Uh, but this is this is kind of similar. Former Uber security chief has been convicted for concealing a felony uh, concerning the 2016 hack of the company's databases. That was pre- pretty big at the time. And, uh, yeah, this chap has been convicted of failing to tell the U.S. authorities about the hack. And, uh, it, you know, it came along uh, later on. It was revealed. There's a lot of this going on, isn't there, of companies not... We talked about it on the Really Useful podcast of uh, companies not admitting to being hacked or releasing the information months later or claiming it's a very small hack that doesn't really affect anybody. There's no identifiable, uh, identifiable information being leaked and all this sort of thing. There's all this, this kind of management around these hacks. And it's been misleading, really, hasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, companies obviously don't want to disclose that they've been massively useless with all of the data that they want to take from you at all times, despite often it being more data than they actually need. And then when they're obviously shown to be negligent, they have to row back as quick as they can. In this situation where you've got someone who 
you know, has actively, you know, tried to obscure the fact. I mean, they must be looking at, well, as, as we've just heard, they will be looking at, you know, um, actual charges. But quite often, when these big companies are hacked and your data is breached, there's no comeuppance, is there? There's no, no. sort of, you know, willingful negligence um case against anyone and i guess you would have to prove that someone was willingly negligible and you know who would that be would it be the ceo would it be the security team etc etc which is probably why these things don't happen but i mean you have to give companies your data but it seems like they have such little onus on keeping it safe which is yeah. which is hard isn't it yeah yeah so in this case um 57 million i'll just say that again 57 million Uber users' records and 600,000 driving license numbers were stolen. That is a lot, isn't it? That is a, a devastatingly large amount, yes. And uh, according to the uh, Department of Justice, Sullivan arranged for the hackers to be paid $100,000 in Bitcoin in exchange for them signing non-disclosure agreements to not reveal the hack to anyone. That's... Uh, that's that's the thing there, isn't it? I think that is that is the criminal act of not revealing the hack and trying to cover it up and everything. So, oh, and the payment was disguised as a bug bounty, a reward used to pay cybersecurity researchers who disclose vulnerabilities so they can be fixed. Oh, this guy had it all worked out, didn't he? Um, <laughs> wow, wow, Joe Sullivan. Well, I mean, he's um, they, they found him guilty. So, uh, yeah, we we really do need to be more careful with where we submit our information and who has it and how long they have it for and all that kind of thing i think it's, i mean something like uber is i mean i've never used uber i rarely use taxis so i don't really speak from a position of authority here but if there's an opportunity to remove your data from a service after you finished using it then you should take it and you know it's not easy with an ongoing relationship but you can close accounts and what have you and everything, and that removes your data, or should remove your data from databases. It's it's almost as if they uh, were losing the tide against privacy and security in this, uh, losing the battle with this, this increasing t wave upon wave upon wave, this great growing tide of companies not really giving a damn what happens with your data. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, like you said, it should be simple to go to the service that you want to leave and say, I'm leaving, and that should be it, shouldn't it? Yeah. You hit the delete button and it's gone. But we all know that that probably isn't the case in 99% of, of situations. You know, if you've, if you've ever, well, A, attempted to leave something like Facebook and all the messages that pop up saying, you know, are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Then, and then if you so happen to open your account within what is it four weeks or whatever i can't remember the figure these days but your data's still there and yeah. if you go back even a year later magically your entire account can be auto repopulated with all the information because it's never really gone so just yeah. we should try and be careful with the information there's a we give to big companies but you know it's impossible yeah, there's a video game I've uh, installed on the Steam Deck uh, using Heroic. Uh, it's an old uh, Sid Meier game. It's a sci-fi sequel to Civilization Two called Alpha Centauri. Mm. And when you um, save the game and sign out, 
uh, this little message pops up and says, and I think that I think he had a voice with it as well saying, uh, "Don't go, the drones need you." And that's what <laughs> trying to leave Facebook is like, isn't it? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, slightly happier, more positive uh, security and privacy news now. Th- it is the uh, creation of a new advert and tracker-free search engine, which uh, is going live. I'm not sure if it's gone live in the UK. It already launched in the US last year called Neva. It already has 600,000 users stateside. And it is from uh, Sridhar Ramaswamy, who worked at Google for 16 years. It has raised $77.5 million from investors and offers free-to-use search and other features such as a password manager and a VPN to be made available on a subscription basis. Uh, You can create an account and build subscriptions at a later date. It's expected to be £5 a month in the UK, but there's no tracking. So you're you're paying a subscription to use it, but there's no tracking and there's a VPN built in. It's a different way of doing search. gives you the VPN, gives you the password manager. It's kind of a good idea, I think, but I'm not sure. People like free things, and if things are free... And there's no money changing hands. You know, money changing hands, whether it's actual physical cash or moving a card or clicking something saying pay here, it's still an extra act, isn't it? It's still an extra step into getting to what you want. And I can see it being useful for privacy people, but um, privacy advocates and what have you. But again, £5 a month. I don't know. I can't decide whether this is a good deal or not, Gavin. Help me out. Um. I've actually I've I've taken it for a spin this morning because okay. it is um, to answer your first question it is available in the it UK. It is available, right? Um, it's a very nice interface and the search returns really fast. All that sort of stuff works well, but uh, I can't. I just can't see people paying five pound a month when a Google is free. So it's only if you really care about privacy that you're gonna stump up to do something yeah. different. Or or sorry, I should say search for something different. And then if you do search for, you know, a privacy-focused alternative to Google, you're more than likely to actually end up on what's going to be Neva's direct competitor, which is DuckDuckGo. Yeah. And DuckDuckGo is a completely free alternative, privacy-focused alternative to Google. Now, the integration, say, of uh, a really good VPN that hopefully if it's proven to be... Uh, completely secure and private could could sway the matter a bit because five pound a month for a VPN and if they add some other features here and there it could actually tot up to be quite a reasonable deal but at the moment um, it's not something I would personally swing for DuckDuckGo well, does a really good job in it so yeah the thing about VPNs uh, which I discovered to my um, own cost well not my cost really because i didn't really lose any money from it or anything like that but uh i launched a vpn review and new site uh at the beginning of 2020 and you know despite the fact that the vpn market apparently increased during 2020 and 2021 thanks to lockdowns and people working from home and needing secure connection to the internet stuff all that sort of thing um i really didn't find that and you, you know, you could say, well, you didn't do a very good website or anything like that. And maybe there's an argument in in favour of that. I did a couple of reviews of VPN software uh, applications, uh, you know, services, big pun, and a bit of news. 
and you know I kept it going for a few months but I didn't really see any big uptake of interest in it and I think people who were interested in paying money for a VPN were doing it on expenses they were being instructed which VPN to use by their employees uh, big, big plan, by their employers or uh, or clients so the fact that that happened and there are people who will use a VPN I don't think I don't feel I don't believe that Joe Public, my mum and dad, they're not going to go out and pay for a VPN any more than they're likely to pay for a subscription to a search engine, which is essentially what this is. Yeah, precisely. And when, for the most people, you can pick up your smartphone or, or whatever and you open Google and you search and the search result is probably what you want. You know, Google is pretty good at what it does. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Why pay for something that ultimately takes away something that you don't feel is affecting you anyway? You know, the long and the short of it is most people don't consider Google is actually potentially encroaching on their privacy to begin with. So paying to remove something that's not even in the thought process perhaps is like, well, well why on earth would I spend 60 quid or $70 a year? when I could put that towards something much more interesting. Yeah, or if you can just go to DuckDuckGo and use that completely for free. Absolutely. <laughs> Tips and tricks time now on the Really Useful Podcast, and uh, there are myriad ways that you can uh, decorate your computer's desktop. Uh, it might be a nice background of your family. It might be some kind of uh, stunning landscape or vista of stars in space and planet or my favorite uh, photos of led zeppelin but you know that's just me uh, <laughs> but some people like video wallpaper on their computers and it's becoming increasingly easier to do uh, with windows 10 uh, some of these steps i'm about to tell you will also work on mac os linux and even chrome os but this is focused on windows uh, 10 and 11 so the first thing you can do is set a video background on windows with the app called push video wallpaper uh, you'll find a link to that in the show notes along with everything else that we discuss uh, that's an easy way to do it it ha it isn't free however it will cost you ten dollars but you do get a free trial to try it out and that will play uh, a video file as your background your desktop background uh, you can set a video as your wallpaper with the vlc media player and uh, it's quite a straightforward thing to do. And then, you know, it plays in the background. You've got all your uh, desktop icons in the foreground and the video will play in the background. Uh, you can also do it with YouTube. Uh, you can maximize your YouTube video, make it in full screen mode, and then Alt-Tab to bring the uh, windows of the applications that you want to use to the foreground whilst it continues to play. There's another app called uh, Desktop Live Wallpaper Plus, which you can also use straightforward and it's available in the windows store and finally there is something called deskscapes this is not free but it does have a 30-day trial it's arguably the most polished solution to this uh, there's a number of uh, built-in uh, scapes that you can use or you can add your own desktop background video now these are all really good and they all do the job and some of them across platform as i say uh, push video wallpapers for windows only 
They'll all work in Windows. Um, VLC Media Player will work on anything that you can get VLC Media Player on the desktop. YouTube will obviously work on any of the desktop solutions. Desktop live wallpapers for Windows and Deskscape, I think, is for Windows and, yeah, just Windows. But I have to say, I really don't know why anyone would want to do this, Gavin. <laughs> I am... So when I was uh, younger, uh, I, I can't remember exactly how I did it, but uh, on a computer I owned when I was younger, uh, I downloaded um, you know television static, the black and white fuzz dots that go all over the screen. <laughs> uh, and I set this as my desktop background. <laughs> Just looping over and over again. And uh, it's enough to make you go mad, honestly. Yeah. You, just, you look away from the screen... Uh, not realising you'd been looking for a while and everything around you would be black and white fuss everywhere. <laughs> so uh, if you are going to use a video, don't use television static. <laughs> <laughs> that actually, that reminds me of something that I used to uh, do. Um, you remember the troll all man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a, like a 24 or 36 hour looped version of that on YouTube. And I was oh feeling, my gosh. yeah, I was kind of feeling uh, a little bit sick of my usual MP3 collection for a time, so that's what I had on in the background. <laughs> Brilliant! Oh gosh! Yeah, that's uh, I'm, I'm a bit sick of it now. Um, uh, yeah, so anyway, so yeah, so that's uh, five easy ways to get a video wallpaper for your desktop PC. Uh, now, Gavin, we um, talked a few weeks ago about Ethereum Merge and uh, what it means, uh, what, what it is, what it means to um, Ethereum and cryptocurrencies. And uh, I understand that this has had a bit of a impact on the active cryptocurrency mining a, a little bit. I mean, I know this was coming, but it seems to be a bit more um, definite than people expected. Yeah, absolutely, Christian. So the big thing uh, with the Ethereum merge was that uh, it was switching from the the old method of cryptocurrency mining, which was uh, very energy intensive, and the new version of it, um, or should I say there isn't really a new version of it for, for Ethereum, uh, and that was the whole thing behind it. They wanted to do away with the, the, the massive energy cost of Ethereum mining. Now, since the merge, which happened on the 15th of September um, 2022, mm-hmm. The Ethereum blockchain is now using 99.9% less energy, which is fantastic for the planet. Uh, It's not so good for those that were using Ethereum mining as their source of income because that source of income now doesn't exist. Like It's just completely gone. So the people that um, had bought up thousands of GPUs, uh, graphics cards, they're just sitting there... um, probably idle in most cases um which i mean if you look at it in the big picture it's great for gamers great for consumers because when we get a new load of graphics cards onto the market there's not going to be that same insane demand uh, with ethereum miners trying to snap up all of the best cards which is really really good yeah um for those that were Ethereum mining, there are some alternatives, although they don't pay out nearly 
the same amount. Uh, so, for example, uh, with the old Ethereum, someone with uh, an NVIDIA GeForce RTX 3070 could probably earn £25 a week or up to £125 a month, sorry, dollars, depending on their electricity costs. Uh, with a higher-end graphics card, they could easily make twice as much as that. Um, that just doesn't happen anymore. Right. Um, so the big question really is, uh, is cryptocurrency mining dead? Um, and I wouldn't say necessarily it's completely dead because there are people mining alternatives. Uh, there are coins that you can still mine using graphics card, Ravencoin, Zcoin, uh, and people who were involved with Ethereum are trying to get some like Phoenix cryptocurrencies going so that they can still continue to use their hardware. But the long and the short of it is, is that the switch from Ethereum 1 to Ethereum 2 has basically had the desired effect, which is really good unless you were a crypto miner. <laughs> wow. It's amazing it's had such an impact so quickly. Yeah, so... The switch, because the switch was effectively instantaneous on on the day, there was no sort of down scaling of the of of the blockchain. So up until the exact moment of switch, the people mining on GPUs could keep going, and then almost immediately after the switch, it was like, nope, quick, flip the switch because this whole hardware situation is now effectively worthless so it's left people sitting on a lot of uh, graphics cards yeah uh, and a lot of graphics cards that have been you know re used really heavily um so there'll be probably in the coming months you'll see more and more used graphics cards appearing on marketplaces like ebay and, and what have you um, and that always begs the question, should you buy uh, a graphic, a used graphics card or one that's been used for cryptocurrency mining? Um, and most experts say err on the side of caution and give them a miss because although graphics cards are designed to be run at, you know, uh, high temperatures and, you know, for, for a long period, the amount of strain that crypto mining puts on them, particularly because they're often used in an enclosed space where it's very hot, you said they're more than likely have experienced some sort of degradation in yeah. quality and processing power. Sure. I saw um, people were washing them before selling them. Washing? Like trying to clean them? Yes. Oh, wow. So with like isopropyl like, alcohol, clean it all the dust and muck and grime off. I'm pretty sure there was water involved as well. Water? <laughs> Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I saw this on Twitter. I was thinking to myself, I don't think that's going to come off for you quite the way you think it is. Oh, uh, that is terrifying. Because yeah. people will see a cheap deal on on eBay and think, oh, an RTX 3090, you know, yeah. that's a brilliant graphics card. And it's it looks nice. It looks all shiny. Yeah, God, look at the shine on that. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Inevitably, and unfortunately, some people are going to buy these and they're going to be very, very disappointed. Yes, definitely, definitely. Uh, so, yeah, so that's that. Um, are we seeing any immediate drop in prices on graphics cards then? 
Uh, well, graphics card prices ha sort of stabilised a few months back um, with NVIDIA and AMD actually increasing their output uh, and also with the thought of... Um, so at the time that we're speaking, um, both NVIDIA... Well, NVIDIA have just announced their latest graphics cards, the NVIDIA 4000 series, uh, and they are priced quite high anyway. There's definitely no sort of sudden demand that's coming up for people trying to get pre-sales uh, and pre-orders and what have you because the people that would have done so are now well there's just there's no point in them doing it so mm. only can be a good thing for gamers uh pc builders and basically anybody who wants to buy pc hardware at its retail price And that brings us um, one way or the other to our recommendation section in which we both recommend something. It's really simple. Um, except it's not that simple because it's really difficult to decide on something to recommend. Um, a couple of nights... I'm going to go first this week and give Gavin a bit of time to prepare his. A couple of nights ago, I um, retrieved a box of goodies from my parents' loft. It was a collection of retro games for the Amiga and Commodore 64. And I found all sorts of things that I uh, didn't know the original, the, the prior location of, and things like that. I found uh, games in largely mint condition. I found the instructions for the shoot-em-up construction kit, um, which was a piece of software that I used to use quite a lot to, um, his, his, this will surprise you, make shoot-em-up games. And, um, it, yeah. Lots of bits and bobs. Found the uh, original. Also found the instructions for the, um, the Nintendo 64 as well. Uh, lots of bits and bobs in there. And I thought to myself, is there anything here I can recommend? And then it dawned on me that, no, of course there isn't, you fool. It's 2022. These games are 40 years old or so. What are you playing at? So, um, however, a couple of days ago, I dug out a laptop. And upon it, I installed some software called Pop OS, which is an operating system, a Linux operating system based on Ubuntu. Now, usually I use Ubuntu, and uh, unless I'm using a Raspberry Pi, which is Raspberry Pi OS, which is um, related to Ubuntu, they're both based on uh, the Debian distro. We're getting into the Linuxy stuff here a little bit, but um, and I don't want to uh, distract anyone who isn't familiar with uh, Linux, but I will say this: having tried Pop OS for the first time. I was absolutely blown away by just how easy it is to get in and start using it. Usually when you switch operating system, that's, you know, sometimes that can happen with Windows, like moving from Windows 7 to Windows 8, for example, or mm. then Windows 8 back to Windows 10. Or Wind I haven't tried Windows 11 yet, but I know there's features missing, so maybe that comes under this umbrella as well. Things can be a bit jarring and trying to work out where things are and all that sort of thing. And Pop OS, it kind of gives you everything you need, where you need it to be. And it's just very easy on the eye and straightforward to start using. I was I couldn't believe how simple it was without looking simple. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if you want... I apologise for leaning away. I'm just uh, logging into my Pop OS computer, so just to inspire me to say the right thing. But basically what I'm saying is, if you have a computer spare, or if you don't want to pay for Windows, if you're planning on trying out a Linux operating system for the first time, I've always been an advocate of Ubuntu, but 
I think I would be recommending Pop OS. Uh huh. That's quite a big shout, actually, because so much of the issue with getting people to switch or even try Linux is that the out of box experience of setting it up and getting it going can be kind of overwhelming. But if it yeah. makes the whole thing simple and you arrive at a desktop that looks and feels relatively similar to Windows, people are probably more likely to stick around, aren't they? Well, it doesn't really look like Windows. <clears throat> it just looks... I mean, it's, I, I guess it probably falls halfway into some sort of friendly middle ground between uh, Chrome OS and uh, Mac OS, I guess. Ooh. But it just feels instantly accessible. The tools that you need are right there. You can... Dis- there's a, there's the launcher for searching apps. There is the um, the app drawer shows the installed applications. There is your browser. It comes pre-installed with Firefox. There's File Manager. There's a terminal. There's the Pop Shop, which is a great name, and that's where you get all your extra software from. And then the settings. Um, the the presentation on the the Pop Shop is really good as well, which is something a lot of uh, Linux distros have struggled with over the years, making themselves look attractive for anyone wanting to install new software. And it just it puts everything that you need front and center and then you can just carry on and get on. I'm very impressed with it. I wish I'm kind of wishing it hadn't taken me so long to try it out, but uh yeah, I and also the benefit as well. I've found um the, the laptop I'm using it on has a very decent sort of 6 to 8 hour battery. So, I've spent quite a bit of time in it and it, it's very very slick and effortless and very easy to work with and just get on with things. I'm pleased with it. So that's my recommendation. What's yours? Um, although you were saying about ancient video games. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly uh, closer to the modern era, but still a fair whack back. I actually just recently started playing Fallout 2. Okay. I had never done before for some reason. Played Fallout 3 and, and, uh, and New Vegas and, and Fallout 4 and what have you. But I never really thought to go back and, and play the original sort of isometric versions, uh, which is also crazy because I really love isometric, you know, turn-based RPGs. I don't know why I've not ever done it. but um, That is crazy, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so, so good. It's so much fun. The amount of freedom you have to do basically whatever you want, go wherever you want. Um, and create your character however you want. Main whether you're going to create an, an absolute dud that is not going to survive in the wilderness of the wasteland, uh, you know, but the game just, you know, lets you get on with it. Um, the graphics these days, I do think, I mean, they're, they're good for me. I like this sort of genre of game uh, and sort of, you know, grew up in that era where games looked like that. That's just how they looked. I think sometimes it is difficult for people uh, to go back and, and really get stuck into them because it does lack some of the fidelity we've come to expect these days. But the storyline itself is really good. I'm, just, I'm only like five, six hours in, but it's just it's such good fun. Uh, and for anybody who has played the modern Bethesda versions of Fallout, going back and looking at Fallout 2, I've got, I've got Fallout 1 as well, but I'm sort of playing them in the wrong order. Um, I think it's definitely a must for anybody who likes this genre, but also likes Fallout and, and wants to see where the where the storyline really originated. Well, I'm looking at um, in, into into the past, into my history. I don't I don't think I've played any of the Fallouts. Uh-huh. I have Fallout Three in Steam, which I'm just looking at now to just to double check. 
Um, but I don't think I've uh, played any of them, which uh, m maybe I've, o I've obviously overlooked something there, so maybe I should uh, do that at some point. But you, you mentioned uh, top-down games and uh, old games. Have you seen there's... Um, this completely by the by, and it's not, not a recommendation because it's not available yet, but there's a uh, top-down version of Half-Life coming out. Uh, no, I haven't seen that. That sounds incredibly good. Yeah, it's called. Um, it's based on a mod called Half Life Loop, but the actual game and Valve have uh, proved it for a full release on uh, on Steam. It's going to be called Codename Loop, and it oh, looks wow. really, really good. Uh, so um, that there's a demo coming for that uh, before the end of 2022. So that will be very interesting to see. Um, well, that's um, that's the end of the show. Uh, everything we've discussed is in the show notes. So uh, if you've got anything that you've found useful, you can refer to the link there, share it with a friend, someone else who might be interested, share it online, and let us know what you think as of the show as well on Apple Podcasts. And if you need to get in touch with us, uh, you can uh, get hold of us on Twitter, via the show notes, or on Facebook, or directly on makeyourself.com as well. We'll be back for a new show soon. Until then, it's goodbye. <laughs>